We're going to look at uh, Mary and Joseph today a little bit <clears throat> and um, how sometimes we face impossible situations. Uh, it's a little sacrilegious to come down off the place we've just been, but I thought in light of it being the Christmas season, we should have a little fun and look at some folks in an impossible situation and uh, see if you can identify sometimes. So let's uh, see if this will work, huh? Thank you, Sheriff. We're all in this together. Right, guys? Guys? Woody! <laughs> Woody, look! I can see daylight! We're gonna be okay! <laughs> I don't think that's daylight. Help me! Come on! 
they lived. <clears throat> I think those are always our favorite scenes from movies, aren't they? Whether it's an animated movie like this or a war movie or whatever, the situation just seems impossible, hopeless, it's all over. And then suddenly it's all changed. And that which was totally hopeless, we're now delivered. We're saved. The good guys show up. The reinforcements arrive. The, the right button is pushed. And everything is changed. Well, we want to look at today some people who faced an impossible situation. The first one and the main one being Mary. And again, we are at a disadvantage because we've heard the Christmas story so often and we've always heard the whole story and we know the last chapter. I think we're at a disadvantage in understanding what it was like for Mary when the story began. Because from her perspective, she faced an impossible situation. If you want to turn over to Luke 1, I want to read a portion of the story. When Mary is first told what's going to happen. I actually want to, the Pew Bibles or the NIV, but I actually want to read it from the message today for you. You're welcome to follow along, just to give it a little freshness. And so it's not just that rut we're used to reading. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descendant from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. At that point, Mary was in an impossible situation. The angel had just announced to her that she was going to have a baby, but she was not married. She was engaged to Joseph, but Joseph would not even be the father. And the father would be God himself through the Spirit. But the angel had spoken only to her not to anyone else, and he had not left any certificates to prove what, that this was true. I've often reflected, and I think that's part of why I love the movie The Nativity, because it so powerfully portrays Mary's challenge in going back to her family and saying, I'm pregnant, but it's God. 
you know, I, I think if we put that into today's terms, no one believed her. Even Joseph didn't. We'll see that. It would be something that would be totally preposterous. And so Mary was left in a sense of a no-win situation. She was pregnant. She was doing what God wanted, but no one would believe her. Her reputation was ruined, and in that time of ancient Israel, she risked punishment severe up to even death. It was, in a sense, hopeless. She was just stuck there. But Mary wasn't alone. She was not the only one facing a hopeless situation. So was Joseph. And Matthew talks about that, how Joseph was a very righteous man. That's why God picked him to raise his son. But that means Joseph was very committed to doing what was right and good. And a pregnant girlfriend wasn't part of that righteousness. And that was not his goal for his life and his wife and the kind of home he wanted to build as a righteous man who obeyed God. And so he too was stuck with an impossible situation. Both of them later would face another impossible situation, actually two of them. One was to go to Bethlehem because of a Roman census. No choice of theirs. It didn't fit with her pregnancy. They obviously didn't have a place to stay. There were no relatives there for them. And they make this long journey, a difficult journey, on a donkey. And then they end up staying in a stable. How would they handle all of this? I'm sure when they left Nazareth, they didn't have any answers. But perhaps even the greater difficult situation they faced was once that baby was born. Because then the entire government, Herod and his police and his military, were trying to hunt, down, hunt them down and kill that baby. They were two young kids from the sticks. They had no idea how you avoid... Herod's police, how you avoid the military, how you hide, anything like that. How do they handle this? How do they survive? Their situation went from bad to worse. Well, if we look at them, I wanted to ask the question today because it'll come for us. How do we handle hopeless situations? And I want to begin with them. How did they handle hopeless situations? Well, first of all, God gave them a promise that he said, count on this, I promise you. I want to look at the promise God gave to Matthew when he faced his hopeless situation with Mary. If you turn over to Matthew 1, we hear what the angel says to Matthew, uh, to Joseph, as he wrestles with having Mary pregnant. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God was, in a sense, giving Joseph a promise. 
that I will take care of this. It is from me, even no matter how it appears, and it will work out. I will take care of this. God gave that same reassurance to Mary, if you turn back to Luke 1, through Gabriel, as Mary is honest and expresses some of her concerns. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel. I'm a virgin. Then what we've read before, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then, in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is even now in her sixth month. And verse 37, For no word from God will ever fail. The angel was giving Mary both a reassurance and a promise. The reassurance being, look, there's already been a miracle. God is going to work another one in your life. How do you know he can? He already has. Go talk to Elizabeth. And we know from later in the story, Mary needed that reassurance. And in fact, she goes and spends quite a bit of time with Elizabeth. As a reassurance that God does know what he's doing. And he can take an impossible situation and make it work. And that promise of the angel in verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. If God says this will work, if God says he will do it, he will. And it was out of that promise that Mary was able to say in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I will do. I will cooperate. I will be a part of this impossible plan of God. Not because she knew all the details, not because he had revealed to her the timeline, the logistics, how he would work it out. But because of a promise from God, that he will never fail her. And because of her faith and trust in God, she says, okay, I will be your tool. I will take this risk in this impossible situation. It seemed to me that that would be good for us to think about this Christmas season. How is hope in your life? Or do you feel like you're in some impossible situations? We talked last week about how all of us, sooner or later, are placed in a position with God where we have to wait on God. And we learned that we can wait on Him. Well, similar to that is this situation that sometimes we are in impossible situations. Circumstances, medical news, economic situations, uh, the list could go on and on. And we don't see an answer. We don't see a way out. Sometimes I feel like I have an argument with God and it's almost like, God, I dare you to bring this one through. Because in all of our logic, and we, we lay awake at night analyzing and reanalyzing, and all of that analysis brings us still to a zero sum. We can't figure out how there's any answer. That's what I liked about that scene from Toy Story. They've given up. They're just holding hands going into the flame because there's no way we're going to get out of this. 
It's cute to watch in a movie, but it's very painful to live there, isn't it? Some of you have been in those moments. Some of you may be in them right now. Sometimes there are situations we've created through our own stupidity and poor choices. But be that as it may, whatever's caused them or created them, we're there. And we're in those impossible situations. Well, the question is, how do we find hope? When we're in those same situations, what can reassure us? Mary got some promises from angels. So did Joseph. And they held on to those promises, and those promises gave them hope. What I want us to see today is we have promises too. Maybe not spoken to us directly from an angel, but they are just as much promises from God. If you're struggling today with hope, I want to review some of those promises from God. And if you're not struggling with hope, then I would encourage you to just keep these notes and file them away. Because the day will come. It comes to all of us. When we are in those situations where it seems hopeless. One of the promises and in a sense, one of the reminders we need to constantly review Jesus says at one point, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One of the things that trips us up is that we start to assume that because we don't see a way out, there must not be a way out. And we try and analyze and we try and talk to people and we just keep coming up with this, there is no answer. And therefore we assume there is no answer. But what Jesus is reassuring us is that we may not be able to see it. There may not be a human on this planet who could find an answer. But God is above this planet. And God sees ways out when we are convinced there are none. When we dare God and say, I dare you to find a way out of this, he just blinks and says, no problem. Because for him, he sees at just such a different level and he is aware of so much more than us and he has power way beyond anything we would have. He sees ways out that we will never find. With God, it is not impossible. The second thing we need to never forget is how much God cares for us. For you, for me. We know this passage, but we need to review it. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only begotten son for you. That's how deeply God cares about you. He is not going to just stand by and watch you go into the fire. He cares too much. You are too special to him. You matter too much to him. That's part of why that cross occurred. That's part of why Christ came to earth and the Christmas story unfolded. Because God said, you are too important to me. I will not stand idly by. I care about you. And I will move heaven and earth to come and help you. There's times we need to print that out and put it on the refrigerator and put it on the mirror where we fix our hair and shave in the morning. 
put it on the dash of our car. We need to put it over every light switch. Because there's times we're convinced we're defeated and we're alone and there is no hope. And one of the promises we must hold on to to have hope is how much God cares. And if the God who created the universe cares that deeply, then there is always hope. One of the reassurances that I think is so powerful is found over in the book of Romans, if you want to turn over there. A reassurance that nothing can keep God from loving us. Nothing can come between us and God. No physical circumstance, no, no anything. <clears throat> we really could read the whole chapter of Romans 8, but we're just going to read three verses. 35 through 37. Paul begins by asking a rhetorical question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness? I'm so poor I don't even have clothes. Or danger or sword. Can any of those things separate us, come between God and his ability to reach out and love us? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how low it can be, how bad it can get. Then Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him, because of him who loved us back to that john three sixteen, and paul talks later in that chapter he's already committed we talked about this last week he has already died for us how will he not also come through for us how in the world do we think he would just stand back and say head for your destruction head for your defeat head for your loss now, are there times we will have to wait? Yeah, we talked about that last week. God's love, God's care, God's saving, God's delivering does not always happen instantly, and it does not always happen when we think it should. And that's part of how, why it is so difficult to keep hope. And I understand that. I've lived that. We all have. And that's why we have to review these promises. Simeon had to wait his whole life. Elizabeth and Zechariah had to wait their whole life for God's salvation, for God's deliverance. And we looked at that at length last week. But we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to feel that we are in a hopeless situation. One more passage over in Philippians 4. This is one of those challenging verses Paul has written. A lot of us have probably memorized it because we have to repeat it to ourselves. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't get yourself worried into a knot. Now that's easy to do when the situation seems hopeless. But Paul gives us here how to not get ourselves worried into a knot when it seems like there's no way out. He says, in every situation, however worried, however fearful you are, 
with prayer and petition, talking to God about it, laying it out for him, giving him your requests. God, I need your help. With thanksgiving, thanksgiving for what he has done in the past, what he has done in other lives, how he took care of Mary and Joseph, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Simeon, maybe how he took care of you two years ago. With thanksgiving, reminding ourselves he's always come through before. Present your request to God. Don't run from him. Don't give up on him. Stay with him. Keep your hand in his hand. And when we do that, Paul says his promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which defies human logic, which makes no sense, which someone without faith will say, you're crazy. That peace of God will come in and guard your heart, those emotions, and your mind, those thinking. And you can have peace. That's what Mary had. I'm sure she had her anxious moments, and she had to review. Now, what was it the angel said? To hold on to her peace. But she did, and she moved forward. We can have that. But I want to throw out one more thing for you to think about. If you're in that hopeless time and you're wrestling with that waiting, one more thing. Don't just wait. Open your eyes to what God might be doing now. And I don't mean the answer you're waiting for. Is he delivering that? Because he may not be. But that doesn't mean he's not working. Because oftentimes, we talked about this in Sunday school, oftentimes in our waiting times, God is waiting because he's doing other things. He's teaching us some things. He's changing some perspectives on our part or on some other people's parts. He's moving some pieces, some circumstances, so that things are ready for his perfect answer. He may even be wanting to use you in this waiting time to speak a word into another's life who doesn't have the hope, who doesn't know that peace. And you're able to say, I understand. Here's where I am. And they see a peace they don't know in you. Just because God hasn't delivered on what we want him to do and fixed the problem doesn't mean he's not giving us things right now in the waiting time. We need to open our eyes and see that. And the next time you face a hopeless situation, I want you to remember Mary and Joseph both of whom, by God, were put into hopeless situations. On their own, they weren't going to figure this out. They weren't going to fix it. No amount of fixing was going to do it. But God came through and turned their hopeless situation into an incredible miracle that we celebrate and Christians around the world celebrate because Christ was born Because they were willing to be in an impossible situation and let God fix it.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have. That because of your love for us, your commitment to us, that nothing can separate us from, that you will work in our lives. You will care for us, you will help us, and you can give us a peace and hope that defies logic, but it's there because of your love for us. Thank you for that hope and for the examples of these two young people, how they were willing to hope in a hopeless situation because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's